This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With Playing with the World's Toys, we talk about the mechanics of skills in Invisible Sun. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast Playing with the World's Toys, we discuss the basic mechanics of the Invisible Sun game. In this segment, we discuss the mechanics of skills. The basic operations of skills are relatively simple and will be vaguely familiar to people who have played with the Cypher system, though there are some key differences. Skills range from 1 to 4. It's important to add that Not having a skill does not mean you can't take a task related to that skill. So even if you don't have a skill in swimming, it doesn't mean you automatically drown when you you are dumped into water. It doesn't mean you cannot climb a wall because you don't have a skill in climbing. uh, Skills in Invisible Sun simply reflect additional aptitude that you have in a particular category of tasks, and they will add to your venture when you perform any relevant task. So skills range from one point to four points, with each of those points adding one to your venture of a relevant task. Note, this means skills are very powerful. That four points in climbing is adding four to all of your climbing ventures. That's a 40% increase in the probability of, or kind of on your scale of zero to nine uh, for Invisible Sun uh, mundane tasks. That can be hugely influential. That's that's very significant. You don't start out with a lot of fours. In fact, you start out with very few skills in this game. You don't start out with... Does anybody really start out with more than just one? Like one level? I don't believe any start out with more than one level. And most characters, it'll vary a bit on order and uh, heart and all of those things. But mm-hmm. typically, I think characters will start with one or two skills. Okay. But again, not having the skill doesn't mean you can't take that action. Uh, This is only a bonus that you get to particular actions. Uh, So the skill system doesn't punish the absence of skills. It chooses to focus on rewarding the possession of those skills. Each of these skills is classified in one of three categories. Action. Action skills, narrative skills, and development skills. And these map to the modes of the game. Action skills are the skills people are likely most familiar with. These are the skills you're most likely to use during action mode, which means activities that where timing is important and there is the potential for sort of immediate feedback or failure. Mm -hmm. So climbing is likely an action skill because if you fail, you fall. And you may find yourself climbing during a scene where timing is very important. Uh, Certainly, combat skills like attacking uh, with a particular type of weapon or dodging in a particular way uh, will be uh, action skills. Narrative skills are skills that will likely be used in narrative mode. 
when timing is much more loose. So we're not talking about actions that require seconds, but may require minutes or, or even hours. This would include na navigation skills uh, or skills related to travel, research skills, possibly interaction skills. Uh, if you're using uh, narrative mode uh, as the way that you adjudicate scenes involving social interaction. But any skills that you think are most likely to be useful during narrative mode will be called narrative skills. And finally, development mode skills are those that are most likely to only be useful during development mode, which are the kind of much more narrow character-focused skills that are unlikely to help you in the other modes. This, this is kind of the residual category. Um, I've got a question for you for a couple of examples. Uh, now let's say I am a maker and I want to build, mm, I want to build a, a piece of jewelry uh, that's going to be some sort of object of power. Now metalworking would be the skill I'd use to help out with my checks here. Would that be narrative or would that be development in your opinion? I would probably need to reread the sections to be absolutely sure, but I, it would, I would probably have that as narrative because it is so important mm -hmm. and because of the consequences of failure. Okay. Because each, each of these modes is more, each of the points as we'll explain soon is more costly in part, recognizing the risk and reward associated with success or failure for those skills. What would be an example of a development mode skill then? One of the examples from the book is cartography. I think it, I'm pretty sure that's examples okay. from the book and a cartography failure may be embarrassing, but it's not likely to be, it's not likely to cost you a great deal. Um, these tend to be, you know, a lot of the, of the development mode uh, skills that are listed almost seem like arts that aren't related to the other core systems in the game. And they are the, the interesting little quirks that make your character unique but they're not likely to be decisive in potentially important uh, scenes or challenges. So emphatically, uh, you wouldn't have a development mode skill in attacking with a sword because mm -hmm. success or failure with attacking with a sword is likely to be very, very important. And so it costs more to improve your sword slinging or your, your sword swinging abilities. Uh, cartography, on the other hand, is unlikely to lead to massive rewards or massive uh, uh, penalties. And so it might fall all the way down to development mode skill. I think that my impression is that's kind of a key distinction uh, in assigning skills to particular modes. But the other cue is like, which mode do you tend to use this in? Hypothetically, you could use sword swinging or, you know, you're, you're, skill at swords, uh, sword swinging um, in development mode. It's possible, but it's not likely to be primarily where you use it. And you really wouldn't be saying in development mode, I swing my sword at it. No, it, it would be more likely something like I'm demonstrating my prowess with a sword to or impress someone socially. Or during this protracted battle, I am going to be using my sword to try and cut my way out of here. Right. But it's it, but the primary use of that skill will probably be during action mode. So I think that would be uncontroversially an action mode skill. Mm -hmm. Crafting is a difficult case because we think of crafting often happening during development mode. But it's so important to makers that I worry about 
uh, making the crafting skills narrative. Uh, and there might even, again, I, I don't recall there being language, but there may be language that says that these are narrative, not development mode skills. Because otherwise, uh, to give you a sense of the costs, an action skill costs three acumen per point. So to get one point in sword swinging, that's going to cost you three acumen. A narrative skill costs you two points per point, two acumen per point, and a development mode skill costs you one acumen per point. So a maker could very easily max out woodworking, let's say, Mm -hmm. with four points within a couple sessions if they're one point per. So that, and, and that so empowers the maker that I think it is reasonable to put it in that narrative category. Uh, though again, I, I, that, that's just my concerns about balance and putting a cost on the skill that's appropriate to the benefit the skill provides. This is the same logic of ha- as having action skills cost more. It's because the basic expectation of RPGs is that having an advantage at swinging a sword is one that pays off heavily and often. And being able to do metalworking and basically make any level three object of power almost for free for a maker. Uh That's a, that's a, that's very beneficial. Absolutely. I I might even, uh, because I I, uh, can be a jerk this way uh, to my players, is say something like, if the weaver wants to take carpentry, that's a development mode skill. But if the maker takes carpentry, that's a narrative mode skill. (laughs) Because the the maker can do so much more with that carpentry skill, and that skill impacts their, uh, their success so much more than it would for a, a weaver. Yeah, and you really are talking about a difference between you know four acumen to max out your you know related skill versus eight. Yes, like it's still achievable, um, mm-hmm. and then you probably also have to have some other narrative gates around it to say like, well, how are you becoming this grand master of woodworking? Like, who is teaching you? How are you doing this? How long does it take? Right. You you could put up your own narrative barriers to higher levels of skill to say that it's pretty easy to find uh, some training to get you a point in woodworking. But that fourth point requires a, is mastery of woodworking. You are among the best woodworkers in all of the actuality. You're going to need very specific training to go do that. You won't just say in, oh, by the way, I spent these points in between our last sessions and now I'm the best woodworker in the world. Hmm. Uh, just like with advancing in your order or learning new spells, you could attach story requirements to these, especially higher levels of skills. I, I would think that would be quite interesting. It's important to note that this uh, point value is based upon presumptions in the relative time you spend in each of the modes. So this, much like my uh, conversation about crafting and makers, the the action skills being three times as costly as development skills is because they are thought to be three times approximately uh, as valuable. If you're in a game that almost never goes into action mode, understand that the, that cost might look daunting when someone can say, well, I could either take you know, buy two points of sword swinging, or I could take three points of carpentry and we never fight things, but I build a lot of stuff. Uh, so these point values are written to the game rules 
but they're written based on presumption that a lot of your shared time is going to be action mode and that the highest stakes scenes will be action mode. If that's not your game, understand that these point values may skew uh, the uh, incentives that your players have, or rather you could say the your allocation of time skews the value of these points. Uh, in my play test, we spent a vast majority of our time in narrative mode. And so skew, narrative mode skills were probably more value th- valuable than they would have expected to be by baseline rules expectations. And similarly, sword swinging skills or um, gun you know, and bullet dodging skills were less valuable in, the ga- in my game where we spent so much narrative time than they would be in a more baseline game where all of the important scenes were action mode and involved dodging bullets and swords. I guess if you notice that nobody's paying three to get those action skills, you might want to adjust it and make them cost less. Right. And you could remind players that getting a one point skill in uh, the way weapon skills work is very similar to um, cipher system where you don't have to take a skill in long sword versus broad sword versus short sword. You take a skill in uh, small, medium or large and ranged or melee weapons. So there's only six categories you could possibly get skills in. Mm-hmm. So if you get skills in melee, ranged, medium weapons, whether that's a mace or a longsword, it, it, it's all covered by the same skill. And you can remind players that getting spending those three points means you're getting the equivalent of a bene every time that you swing that sword. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a pretty big uh, impact in, in terms of uh, if you want to translate to Dungeons and Dragons or another D20 sort of game, every skill point is uh, a plus two bonus and four skill points is a plus eight bonus to hit on a D20 scale, uh, though we though this game uses a D10 scale. Right. So that's those are huge bonuses. And, and they're costly. <laughs> the game makes you pay for them. Yeah, yeah, they're costly, but it's affordable. One thing I wanted to emphasize is that, like the Cypher system, these skills are meant to be relatively open, and the boundaries are defined by your part, your, your group and the GM and the story. So while there are some skills that are fairly well-defined, like medium Malay weapons you know when that applies but other skills may apply in a wide variety of circumstances and that the, the system intends that to be the case so if you're taking a skill that's mentioned several times in the book balancing you can have an act you can decide as a group how often you think balancing will actually help and in what, cir- what circumstances it will actually help uh, I, that's probably an action mode skill because it has immediate consequences and it's the sort of thing you might use as you move around a uh, combat scene. Uh, But really there's no defined rules in the game that say exactly when balancing is going to be important. Is it only when you're crossing a narrow a narrow walkway or could it be useful in a variety of other circumstances where it's helping you balance uh, as part of a movement, as part of an attack? Does it help you resist certain types of effects that might knock you over? There are no strictly defined applications of these skills. The skills 
are defined in the context of the narrative relative to what the group thinks is an appropriate value for that particular skill. Uh, an example from the cipher system that used that uh, before I really understood this uh, initially upset me <laughs> in some of the playtest material years back is that one of the examples in the books was like science as a skill. And one of the character, the pre-generated characters had, I think it was particle physics as a skill. Mm-hmm. And I went uh, from a traditional standpoint of skills, like why would anyone take phys- particle physics when they could take science? Science covers so much more material uh, and particle physics is so much more limited. It can't possibly be as valuable as a skill that encompasses it. But the skill system here is intended to be more loose and is intended to allow players to add flavor to their characters. So particle physics was a much more flavorful skill than science. Uh, and it allowed the player to better define her character uh, with th- than a general training in science would have. And the same thing can apply in Invisible Sun, where skills can be narrow or broad. My inclination would be that a narrower skill, I would be more deferential to... Uh, more kind of uh, accommodating to the application of that skill in cir- in broad circumstances, whereas very broad skills, I might be more picky about when I would allow that bene to to operate um, to try to help use the help the skills still be equally valuable, even if one's narrow and one's broad. Uh, it was one thing I was thinking about. Um... When it comes to building your venture, you're adding a skill, like you can add relevant, a relevant skill to your venture. Can you add multiple skills to your venture? I don't. I'm not sure if there's guidance in the books on that. I would need to look that up. I, I will have to confess ignorance on multiple skills. I mean, uh, considering... I'm, I'm inclined to say you could, but there'd have to be pretty strict limits. It, I would probably still limit it at four. That makes sense. But. Yeah, two 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 point skills might be a way to get to run into the the tricky situation where it's like, well, I spent uh, two points to get this. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. Never mind. Especially since within modes, every point is the same value. Yep. So two two point action skills are the same cost as one four point action skill. Oh, but if you're putting like a narrative requirement on getting up to level three or four. Right. Then your KG character or players may be like, well, I'm going to get uh, two skills that kind of apply to these things that I do. And then I don't have yeah. to worry about justifying it to my, you know, GM and saying, well, I, I didn't need to train that long. Now, did I? Right. And, and this is part of where you, you have to kind of negotiate with your group as to what counts when skills apply. And the game does not provide a lot of guidance because they, it wants you to, work together to define the limits of these skills. Mm-hmm. One on a related note, and I think a good note to close on yep. from is uh, something it's not obvious in the skills because it's not necessarily mechanical skills are an opportunity for players to announce what they want their characters to be good at in the gumshoe system. For instance, there's a great uh, a recommendation where you take an inventory of all the skills that all the players have. And it is recommended that you sort of plan your stories to allow for each of the players to use each of his or her skills. 
or at least a high proportion of them and rotate and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I recommend something similar with skills in Invisible Sun. Skill choices were a point where the player said, I want my character to be good at X and Y. That's begging you as a GM, allow me opportunities to demonstrate how good I am at X and Y. Uh, So use these skills as inspirations for the sorts of challenges your players want to overcome and points where their character is supposed to look awesome. Which allows sort of, it doesn't matter then how specific the skills are, if it's particle physics or science. Because if someone wrote down particle physics, you just know this player has declared she wants her character to be awesome at particle physics. Let's make sure that every session or two, there's a a challenge where being awesome at particle physics is going to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's strange that we always run into a particle accelerator down in these dungeons, isn't it? I wonder why that's why I wonder why that's the case. And that's suddenly that's part of the story. (laughs) That's why you got brought into this particular story or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But understand that skill choices are a signal about what players want to do. If they're investing heavily in develop mode skills, that's probably a sign they want to do a lot of development mode. If they're investing heavily in narrative, they want to play a lot of narrative. And if every single one of them keeps pouring points into sword swinging, have things they can swing swords at. Good advice. <laughs> it's a, a little surveillance system built into character creation and character advancement. So the characters are always, our players are always updating you as to what they want to see in coming sessions. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha- help people find us. <laughs>